You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We are wrapping up our series called Designed for Relationships. And as we wrap this up, allow me to share with you a quick story. Last week, I was having coffee with someone. This person was you know, sharing with me a very interesting story about his life. He said, he's not from this city, he's not from Dumaguete. But I think this was like four years ago. He was given an assignment in this city, in Dumaguete. There was a project here. And because of that project, he would frequent Dumaguete. Like, he will be here on the weekdays, then go back home in Bacolod on the weekends. And during that time, he was a church attendee, like some of you. He was a church attendee in our church in Victory, Bacolod. And then one time, he was telling me, well, he was here together with his friends. It was late in the evening. They wanted to have late dinner. Nothing else is open during that time except Habhaban. It was like 1.30 in the morning, so, you know, together with his friends, they went to Habhaban. So they were having their midnight tapsilog. And then, while they were eating, he was so surprised because he heard something familiar from his back. While he was inclining, he was saying to himself that, you know, this sounds familiar. And he realized at 1.30 in the morning, there was a group of students behind him doing victory group. He was so encouraged by a small number of students who was doing Victor Group at 1.30 in the morning that he started reassessing his life and stuff like that. And you know, to cut the long story short, this man is actually now our senior pastor in Victory Silai. I am sharing this because I'm not saying that all of you will turn out to be pastors. I am just saying that as we conclude our series designed for relationship, I do understand that all of us, we have our own stories to share, isn't it, right? There is a reason there is someone who was invited you to church, who was invited you to a victory group, and things like that. And we are thankful to the Lord for those people. Amen? Last week as well, you know, Mark Dequito, our kids coordinator, one of his friends from church, JP, one of our ushers here, he was telling me his story. He said, a group of people from a different ministry, from a different church, preached the gospel to him. But... What got him connected to victory was, there was a time wherein, when he was in Dumaguete, he was arguing with someone about the Christian faith. My experiences about someone would argue with you about your Christian faith, telling you this isn't true, stuff like that. And you end up arguing, but you come up shorthanded. That was what was happening with him, and he was at Bo's Coffee together with his friend. They were arguing. And interestingly, while they were talking, he heard a group of students at the coffee shop who were actually having victory groups. So what he did was, he told his friend to whom he was having an argument with to join that victory group. So they joined the victory group, and that was a Friday afternoon, and they ended up joining our youth service. My point in sharing this is, I have two things in mind as I share those stories. Number one, I want us to understand that it is not an accident with regards to why you're here. It is not an accident. God has ordained the moment in your life wherein you got connected to a church, got connected to a victory group. Secondly, is this fact. Every single one of us, every disciple is called to a mission. What I'm going to do here, and I hope we're going to be quick on this, we will look into Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. And I think I have preached a variation of this many years ago. But this is a passage that I think Every single believer, whether you're a new believer or an old believer, 
you've been walking with the Lord for the longest time, every single one of us would need to really hear or look into this passage in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. These specific passages are passages that I have shared countless times to numerous pastors. I was showing this to some pastors and I was convincing everyone with regards to a biblical pattern that we can find in God's Word with regards to our calling as God's people to go on a mission. So let me establish this for a while. Whether you are a student, you are a homemaker, whether you are new in the faith, or whether you've been walking for the longest time, whatever it is that you do in your life, every single one of us have been called to a mission. That's a fact that we see here. So before I go to Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10, let me say something for a while. If you go to Luke chapter 1 and read all through chapter 1 down to Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 1 to Luke chapter 8, Luke starts writing about the person of Christ. Meaning to say, Luke convincingly as a doctor makes argument about who Jesus is. Alright, if you remember when he started writing to the most excellent Theophilus, was writing to this man, and there has been so many arguments as to who Theophilus was, but nonetheless, he was writing to this man, and he was writing, I would say, a well-crafted thesis in the form of a narrative proving to Theophilus who Jesus is. Alright, and then... Beginning in verse 9 to the succeeding chapters of the book of Luke, you would realize that you know, Luke now starts talking about our response to Luke chapter 1 and 8. So it's kind of like, this is who Jesus is, and this is how you ought to respond to him. All right? So allow me to read Luke chapter 9. This is in verse 1 down to verse 6. And then we will jump to Luke chapter 10. So 9, 10, but don't worry. We just have a few verses here today. So Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10. So we'll begin with verse 1 down to verse 6. Let me read this. And he called, and Jesus called the twelve together. And Jesus gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Then Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey no stuff, no bags, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart. Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And so the disciples departed and went through the villages. Let me put it this way. Through the villages. Banilad, Bumpandan. Right? Ganun ichuranun, bagakay. Preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. That's in Luke chapter 9. So, Jesus in Luke chapter 9 was talking obviously to the, to the 12 disciples, right? Now, in Luke chapter 10, he extends that call to 72 more people. Alright? So, from 12, he extends the call to 72 more. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. So take note, this is a chapter after Luke chapter 9. It says here, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and in the same way, look at this, sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town. Same with what I said a while ago. Into every town and place where himself was about to go. And, it is said, and he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, 
he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 12 to 72. If you look into Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10, this is interesting because what is obviously seen here is, I would say, in our generation right now, kasi, especially among pastors, there's been so many like you know church growth strategy, how to do ministry. There's so many equipping training sessions that's been going on. And the sad reality is sometimes the strategy of the church to reach the community is based on the corporate world, based on how the world operates. Say, for instance, one of the dangers that we could fall in as a church is to focus on branding, isn't it? At the end of the day, I'd like for us to understand that we're not Pfizer, right? I mean, we're not GlaxoSmithKline. We're not any of these companies. We're not a corporate entity. So therefore, when we start talk, thinking about branding, marketing, that takes the forefront in any of our strategies and processes as a church, just by getting into that static point, we have already failed. What I want to show you is a pattern that Jesus himself has established. We would call this, you know, the patterns of ministry that we can find in God's Word, specifically in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. And the pattern is quite obvious. Like it starts with commissioning, and then you have the content, and then you have the community. Let me begin with Luke chapter 9. Let me begin with the first one. It says here, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, and it says here, and he called the 12 together. It says he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Let me establish this as early as now. If you look at this in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, it says here, Luke says, Jesus called the 12 together. You see, the starting point of any ministry, the starting point of any form of ministry, the starting point of any form or work of ministry, whether that's your victory group, whether that's campus ministry, or a church like ours, a local church like ours, the starting point of any form of ministry is the calling to come together. All right? The starting point of any form of ministry is the calling to come together. It simply means that first and foremost, we won't be doing anything until we come to a point that we realize that we first have to be gathered to Christ. Amen? We first have to be gathered to Christ. If we are not gathered in Christ, then there will be no commissioning. There will be no commissioning. There's no commission okay, if there's no mission. That's something that I'd like for us to understand. All right? oh, and the only way for us to understand what the mission is, is for us to be gathered in Christ. Now look at this. The original Greek word for this, when Luke writes, and he called the 12 together, is the Greek word, which means to someone. Anyone of you here who's been summoned to the principal's office at one point in your life? Iba kasi yung summon ni kuya, iba yung summon ng magulang. Tama po ba? When you were younger? I mean, I'm the youngest among the boys. And you know, sometimes, you know, my older brother would call me. And sometimes, you know, I just play. Hindi ko pinapakinggan yung brother ko. But when my mom starts calling me, that's a different conversation. Pag sumigaw na yung mom ko na, Archie! Tapos parang alam mo, may hawak na sinturon. Ibang usapan yun. So I'd be right there in the dining room. I remember, you know, my mom, when he calls us to go to the breakfast table, we have to be there. She was cruel at one point in her life. 
I'm glad she's saved now. All right, so this is like big salmon to a principal's office. So I'd like for us to see the substance of this word. This isn't just a friend calling you. This is someone calling you with urgency. So it is Jesus who summoned them to what? I mean, every time you get summoned by someone, you are given what? You're given instructions. Now, so it goes on to say that if you are a Christian, you have been summoned. All right? So it's not like Christian and then it's up to you as to what you're going to do with your life. No. You have been summoned because Jesus has an instruction for you. Amen? Jesus has an instruction for us. No. We have to be gathered to Christ first. So what does it mean? First and foremost, there are two things that I'd like for us to understand with regards to what it means to be summoned, to be gathered to Christ. Number one, I'd like for you to understand that there's no way for you to be commissioned if you haven't been regenerated. So the first instance of being summoned is to be what? To be adopted by God. Alright? So meaning to say, when you start talking about being gathered to Christ, that means that you have been saved. Alright? That's why I was sharing you a while ago the story of JP, the story of Pastor Luis. It starts with us being gathered to Christ. Right? Who am you are thankful to the Lord that you have been saved? I mean, we have been saved. I don't know with you, but I've been a Christian for how many years now? But I always thank the Lord that He has saved me. Amen? Because if He hasn't saved me, then, then yeah, same with you, same with your story. So we have to be gathered to Christ first, that we have to be saved. That's the first one. The second one is this. What does it mean to be gathered to Christ? It means that we have to be what? We have to be in corporate worship. How does that look like? I want you to understand is the moment a Christian or a believer starts exchanging his Sunday worship with NBA, with NFL, or whatever, kahit ano pa yan, ASAP, whatever, the moment we start exchanging that, and that becomes a habit that, that only means that you are staying away from being gathered to Christ. What do you think about that? But anyway, there's no way for us to understand what the instruction is from the Lord if we are not gathered in Christ on a given Sunday. There's actually a trend that's going on that talks about wherein people become proponents of a non-church Christianity, which I think is entirely false. There is what we call the means of grace. And when we say means of grace, these are avenues at which the Holy Spirit grows us in the faith. One of the means of grace that we have in our life as a Christian is what? Our Bible reading, isn't it, right? So when we start reading our Bible, we start growing because we get to have a spiritual diet. Another means of grace is when we come together as God's people, in a victory group, or even in parties, that's still a means of grace. We are basically mutually encouraged by each other's presence. Now, there are many means of grace at which a Christian can grow. Why am I submitting to everyone that we have to be gathered in corporate worship on a given Sunday, on the Lord's Day? Why? Because all the means of grace that you can think of are present in corporate worship. 
We're doing individual reading, but there's Bible reading here, there's preaching of the word here, there's supplication here, there's prayer here, there's fellowship here, there's worship here, there's singing here, there's communion here, the Lord's Supper. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if I am serious about my growth as a Christian, I will go into a place where I understand that I am fed and nourished spiritually. And that is actually in our corporate worship. So those are the two things. Now, allow me to read further. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, he called the 12 together. So going back, what happens when we are gathered to Christ? Every time we're gathered in Christ, one thing happens. Discipleship happens. He called the 12 together. Friends, I mean, come to think of this. Jesus had, what, multitude of followers. People would be following him, but, you know, every time we would gather together, it would always be his disciples. Discipleship happens when we come together. That is why at the end of the day, we are very clear with our victory groups, with our small group Bible study. However you want to call it, you don't want to attend a victory group, then attend a Bible study. It's going to be the same thing. We actually really do not care. Friends, can I say this to everyone? We're not interested with a crowd. Amen? I mean, if we're going to be a crowd here the next coming years, and I'm not even thinking about church growth, I'm simply thinking about the commission that God has given us. We're not here for the crowd. We're here to see every single one of us grow in the faith, individually and corporately. He gathered the 12 together. Here's what happened. Look at this. The moment he gathered the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. Interesting, right? Listen, it is in gathering that you're given power and authority. So at the end of the day, I want us to understand this. Every time we're gathered together, power and authority is given to us. Jesus gives us power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Power and authority is directly related to us being gathered in Christ. So it's true when people say that we are better together or that there is actually strength in numbers. You know what I think? One of the sickness of the contemporary church right now is spiritual lifelessness. Spiritual lifelessness. Kumbaga, yung Christianity natin, confession lang. Confession lang, pero we aren't really living it out because we aren't really walking with the Lord. That's why our life looks so lifeless even as a Christian because there's no power and authority in the things that we're doing. And it's directly related to the fact that we are not gathered in Christ. And this pattern is very obvious here. And one of our sickness right now, not as a local church, but the church in general, I think is what is consumerism. That the church has become like a theater. The church has become like a marketplace where people are just given whatever they want. That isn't the case. We're not here to be given something. We're actually here to give something. And in fact, as a pastor, I will not apologize for saying that, that, there's, that something is required of us. As God's people. That's why in the first week of this series, we did say that commitment gives us a picture that there's something that's basically demanded from us. And if we're just consumers coming into the church, then we live a very spiritually lifeless life for that matter. If we want to walk on the mandate that God has given us, which is to be filled with power and authority, 
we have to be gathered to Christ first. And you, you folks know this, the power here in this original Greek, the word is the word dunamis, which means power through God's ability. Power through God's potential. Alright? So power through God's ability and power through God's potential. What does it look like? It simply means that it is the power of the Lord working in and through you. Familiar with SPA? An SPA is a special power of authority. So the picture is kind of like that. Our power and authority is a delegated power and authority coming from God Himself. It's a delegated power and authority that the Lord has given us. Let me proceed. Look, and He called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And here's what happens. Look at verse 2. Everyone, read this out with me. It says here in verse 2, And He sent them out. Right? He sent them out. So meaning to say, every time you look into God's Word, every time Jesus gathers something, there's always a purpose for the gathering. The purpose of the gathering is not so tayo-tayo na lang for the next five years, for the next six years. It isn't a picture of exclusivity. But every time Jesus gathers a group of people, it's always with the purpose of sending them out. And in this instance right here, we understand that Jesus actually sent them. We are called together. I want you to catch this. To be sent together. God has called us together to be sent together. Yes, it's true. We understand fellowship is great, isn't it? What do you think? Whether you do your badmintons together, whether you eat at Dumagete Kansi together, fellowship is great, but at the end of the day, we have been sent out together for a purpose. And I wish to make us understand that I'm simply circling around these verses. These are not things that I want to happen, and I'm telling you that this is what you ought to do. This is what the Bible teaches us as to what we need to do as God's people. You are sent together to what? Look at this. And he sent them out to? To proclaim. Interesting, isn't it? We have been sent out to, I just heard last Friday that some of our students, campus missionaries, they went to Norsu, they went to Siliman to invite people to our youth service. We have been sent out to proclaim, the word proclaim here is the word caruso, which means to herald, to announce a message publicly and with conviction. The proclamation, our proclamation, should bring our listeners to conviction. Alright? Now, I'm not saying that we judge them all throughout. I'm just saying that. Listen, here's what I realized. We don't use the pulpit para magpadinig sa mga tao. You don't use your victory group as an avenue para magpadinig kayo sa mga tao and stuff. You don't do that. You know why? You don't need to, quote-unquote, offend people because at the end of the day, God's word in itself is already offensive. I don't know with you, pero... Even as a pastor, when I read God's word, marami rin po ako mga ouch at aray. Alright? Na parang, Lord, si misis ko ba to? O ako? The word of God in itself is already offensive. That's why I'm just circling around this word. So then it says here, we have to herald. The proclamation should bring people to conviction. There has to be a sense of urgency. One of our former leaders in this church sent me a photo. He's based in Manila now. And for some reason, he sent me a photo of 
himself and my aunt. I don't know what happened. I don't know what the circumstances was that led to him knowing who my aunt was. But nonetheless, you know, my aunt was telling him about you know, how her husband received the gospel before he passed away. This person was a very good lawyer. He was a lawyer for the late Perfecto Yasai. So this guy was a brilliant lawyer and he's been in church for like all his life. But he realized on his deathbed that he isn't saved. He realized that he needed to hear what the gospel really is. And that's scary. I don't know with you. It's scary to think that sometimes we could be in church, but the truth is, it's either we're not really regenerated or we have been spiritually backslidden. And I hope and pray that we just don't go into motion here week in and week out without fully understanding what this is all about. They have been sent out to proclaim the tense of the word Caruso is interesting. It simply means constantly, over and over again, habitually and progressively. There is something that we have to keep doing again and again and again, and that is to keep preaching the gospel. Ang tendency lang po kasi sa lumalaking simbahan is hindi na tayo preach Ang tendency lang po kasi pagka lumingon tayo, uy, punong-puno yung service, so parang wala na tayong desire to preach. Compared to nung maliit tayo pagka-church plan tayo many years ago, parang sobrang excited tayo mag-preach to feel people in but the danger part of having a congregation this size is we lose the passion, we lose the zeal to reach and preach the gospel. And I hope and pray that if we come to a point in our life that we've lost it, I hope and pray that we will embrace back the commission that God has given us. Here's what's interesting. So first, Jesus gathered them. I just want to show you the sequence. The sequence was Jesus gathered them, right? And then gave them power and authority. And then sent them out together, together, all right, together. He sent them out to fellowship. Nope. He sent them out to proclaim. All right, clear? Are we clear so far? Now, here's what I want us to understand: the content of what you proclaim is important. The content of what you proclaim is important. We don't proclaim new building. We don't proclaim victory. We don't proclaim good facility. We don't proclaim any of these things, but we proclaim the gospel. At the end of the day, we don't proclaim the things that we have, how great kids' church is, how great the kids' coordinator the kids' church is, and stuff like that. We don't proclaim none of those things. We simply proclaim the gospel. And so, you know, the content of what we proclaim is important at the end of the day, our Victory Groups conversation should lead us to preaching the gospel. And my prayer for all of us is this, that in your one-to-ones, in our Victory Groups, in our Sunday services, I pray that we will not run out of Christ-exalting messages. Siguraduhin lang po natin ang bida laging si Lord. Right? In the things that we're doing the content of our proclamation is important. So here, the content as we understand is the gospel, but to give a clearer picture, what should really be the content of our proclamation? Look at this. It's actually here. Look at this. He sent them out to proclaim. Look at this. What's the content? The kingdom of God. Right? The content was the kingdom of God, and that's why they were called to what? To preach the gospel. So it simply means to say that if you consider yourself a Christian, you categorize yourself as a disciple, then this is the calling that God has given us. A disciple is someone who has not finished classes. 
That's not what we're talking about. We're not saying, are you a disciple? I have finished this class. I have finished this class. I have finished this class. At the end of the day, no. A disciple is someone who follows Christ. Doesn't matter if we tick off all the stuff that victory does. I've been to this class. I've been to that class and stuff like that. At the end of the day, are we following Christ? The people in our victory groups, do they at least show a desire to follow Christ? Because that is what a disciple is. That is how a disciple looked like. A disciple, it says here, it's actually the word mathetis, which means a pupil. Meaning to say a pupil, you are what? A student of the word. So you can't be a student of the word if you are not reading God's word. Am I right? So I pray that every single one of us will actually be students of God's word. You know, I've shared this with some people. You know, there's an interesting definition of what the gospel is. This is by Rice Brooks. Well, I would say that this is one of the perhaps many definitions that we can get. I wouldn't say that this is entirely what the gospel is, but at least the essential elements of the gospel is actually encapsulated here. So here's what he says. He says, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Christ Jesus. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place, three days later, he rose from the grave, praying that he is the son of God and giving the gift of salvation to those who believe, all right? So whenever we preach the gospel, we have to preach comprehensively. So what is the gospel? Oh, I memorized what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that God, we have to understand what it actually means. It's not just mere confession. It has to brew in our life. We have to understand what are you talking about at home? That's how my wife and I discuss with some things. We talk about certain topics. Let's talk about biblical parenting. Let's talk about gentle parenting. We don't just take what it means from what culture says. We try to get into God's word, which strikes the balance over so many things. All right? So if you look at this, the gospel good news that God became man in Christ Jesus. If we are to understand this, oh, I know this. This is the incarnation of Christ. As we understand. We also understand when it says here, he lived the life that we should have lived. It's his active obedience and his sinless life. So just by memorizing this, you could actually preach the gospel to so many people. He died the death that we should have died in our place. We're talking about his crucifixion, substitution, his resurrection, his deity. And it talks about our salvation. So let me put it this way. Is knowledge important? Of course it is. It is important. I'm not saying that's the ultimate or the only thing. Because if it doesn't get into a heart level, every knowledge basically is meaningless. This has to be an immersive aspect in our life. Whenever we start talking about the gospel, I got saved when I was 19 through this ministry. My my first Christian church is this church. I have never encountered Christians before until I was 19 years old. And I want to be honest with you, when I came here in Victory, I find it weird. You know, people wearing long sleeves, neckties during that time. Yeah, everyone was smiling, but it was so surreal, and it was just crazy. So this is my first Christian experience, Christian church, and I was discipled here, and eventually, the church was still small. When I was a new Christian, I was given the opportunity to preach, and I feel like effective preaching is yelling. So if you've been with us, you know, from many years ago, from back in Tavern, you know how my preaching was like before, I was just yelling, and I feel like it was so effective. And there were a group of people in the church who actually went to Pastor Donnie and telling Pastor Donnie, you know, your kid is so noisy. Because I thought it should be done that way, but I realized that the clarity and the content of the message is important. 
So at the end of the day, I want us to understand you know, that yelling to you won't save you. Yelling to you will simply hype you up. If people keep yelling to you when they're in praise and worship, good as if you know our youth services before, it looks like a rock concert. But anyway, we are growing as a church, and I feel like, like what I said, if the content isn't clear, what hangs in the balance is actually the salvation of the people who are listening, who are hearing you out. And then look at this. This specific account, there's a parallel to this. May parallel account to sa Mark. Yung account na to sa Luke, there's a parallel account in Mark. And it says here, he recalled the 12, diba? 12 disciples. Look at this. And he began to send them, look at this, two by two. Right? So, Jesus sent them two by two. So, 12, ilang grupo yun? Six. Right? Hindi ko alam sino kasama ni Judas, pero basta, kasama niya si Judas. But anyway, they were sent two by two according to Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Now, here's what's interesting. I'll go now to Luke chapter 10. Look at that pattern. He was sent two by two. Look at this pattern. Now, he talks to the 72. Look at this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. Look at this one. Two by two, right? Two by two into every town and place where himself was about to go. You know, this talks about community, friends. This talks about community. You're preaching the gospel in the context of a community. At the end of the day, I want us to understand we actually need each other. Commissioning with a bad content is terrible. Commissioning with a good content is good. Commissioning with a good content in the context of a community is far better. In the context of a community is always far better. What Jesus was essentially saying was, we want to reach Dumaguete, you want to reach the city. It's kind of like this. Kevin and Ryan will have to go to this place. It's basically like that. Jesus simply gave them assignments for that matter. In effect, this actually, if you look at this, this cut in half the number of towns in which the ministry of the kingdom of God could happen simultaneously. Diba? Parang pag-isipin mo, parang 12 na nga lang. Tapos dinivide mo pa. So, naging six na lang tuloy. So, six barangays instead of 12 barangays. Grabe naman, Lord. But the pattern, when I look into this, you have to always understand the theological nature of ministry. This basically talks about what a shared ministry, which is actually what? Evident in God's Word. It's actually evident in God's Word. You have what? You have guys like Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, they did ministry together. Look at this, even during the death of Christ, remember, during the death of Christ, sobrang lungkot ng mga tao. Remember, on the road to Emmaus, how many guys were there talking to each other? Dalawa rin sila. It's always good to have someone with you. And now, let me echo what Pastor Mark mentioned last week with regards to a local church like ours. At the end of the day, it's true, we can't be one big family. There's just too many of us. I mean, can you imagine all of us going to one restaurant together after this service? Diba? It's just not physical. We can't be one big family. But guess what? We are big enough to have a family in this local church. And I hope and pray that you will have those people with you. I understand. I know my personality. So I realized that you know, in the past couple of years, I would always bring someone with me when I talk to people. I would always bring John Hupa with me. Because I feel like, you know, I can start ministering and talking to people when I have this guy with me. You know, it just starts the conversation. Let me proceed. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 <laughs> says here, two are better than one. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Let me read what J.C. Ryle says, and I'm going to wrap this up. 
Two men together will do more work than two men singly. They will help one another in judgment and commit fewer mistakes. They will aid one another in difficulties and less often fail of success. They will stir one another up when tempted to idleness and less often relapse into indolence and indifference. They will comfort one another in times of trial and be less often cast down. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 10, Woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he has not another to help him out. I think those who are married here, you know what I'm talking about, right? To those who are married here, I want you to understand your husband and your wife. Okay, that's God's grace for you. God's grace for your life. Amen? Friends, go to the book of Acts, and here's my challenge for you. If you go to the book of Acts, most of the time, you will not find Paul doing ministry alone. He will always have people with him. He will always have John Mark. He will always have Barnabas. He would always need people to be with him. All right, so he's not doing ministry on his own. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The next one is conviction. There has to be conviction. So you have the commissioning, the content, the community, but there has to be conviction. Look at this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says here, after this, it says, now what's the context of that? The context of that is in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. The context of after this is Luke chapter 9, verse 62. It says here, Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Right? So look, Yung context ng after this is Luke chapter 9, verse 62, wherein Jesus says, once you start doing this, go ahead and do that for the rest of your life. He was like saying that if you are going to follow Christ, I hope and pray that at one point in your life, you will not swerve to the left nor to the right, but you will keep following for the rest of your life. There's an aspect of conviction that our minds should not change. At the end of the day, we need to have conviction in our life. Come to imagine this, friends. I don't think it's easy for Gigi Ampas, our cross-cultural missionary, to be a woman missionary in the nation of Pakistan. On our last visit here, I have already made a decision that she's not going to go back. We'll move her to another Tan nation. I think that's Tajikistan. We thought of moving her or asking her to be a missionary into Lebanon, but... After much prayer, she really wanted to stay in Pakistan. And to a certain extent, I can't divulge information to you, but there were significant threats to her life in Pakistan. There were significant threats to her as a woman in Pakistan. And for some reason, she's just dead set. I'm locked to this nation. I'm going to serve this nation. And what do you call that? That's called conviction. That's called conviction. In fact, you know, you're looking into a modern-day hero in the faith. Last but not the least is this. Look, Luke chapter 10, And the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, and to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Then Jesus said, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. It's true, you have your commission, you have your content, you have your community, you have your conviction, but none of this will be effective if you don't have Christ. An effective ministry 
is a ministry that will always rely and depend on Christ. We pray for what we're going to do the next couple of years, at least as a ministry. Uh, we pray that we would be able to plant churches in Baiz, Tanay, Bayawan, all of these cities. But I pray that as we do these things, we do this with the right motive, and we do this with full dependence on the Lord, on what He can do in our life. Just to wrap this up, these are the things that we have to understand, the patterns of ministry that we can find in God's Word. And hope and pray that we will all glean on this as a local church as we go out there and make disciples. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.